This morning, again, I just want to take a moment just to um, offer a prayer for and remember those women who have, who have suffered or been suffering with breast cancer. And so what I want you to do is I want you to think of one person in your life that you may know, and I want you to think of their name. And let's just take a moment to lift them up in prayer or to remember the beauty that they brought to this earth while they were living. Will you do that with me? Take that moment with me. God, I'm, I'm just praying against that spirit of, of cancer, in particular breast cancer this morning, God. I'm asking that you, you move, that you, that you do what you do best, heal and restore these women who are suffering through this disease, God. God, please make them new. Please remind them that they are beautiful, that they matter, that they have purpose, that they have a reason for being. Oh God, please just instill them, breathe into them your strength to get through today. Give them peaceful rest at night. In your mighty name we pray and ask. Amen. Amen. Thank you. My name was, I'm looking at you, Tracy. I'm thinking about you today. Mm. We're on this God Story series. And today we're going to talk about unity. U-N-I-T-Y. When you hear the word unity, do you get a positive or negative vibe? It's participation time. Positive. Positive? Okay. When, 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 when you think about the word, about, the word unity, what comes to your mind? How would you define the word unity? Well, Webster's defines it this way. It's the state of being one and united. It's the quality of being one in spirit, sentiment, and purpose, being in harmony with each other. Unity, then, is, is, a, is a good thing, right? I mean, why? Because unity helps a group, whether that group is a team, a company, a, a couple, a family, a church, move forward in achieving the goal and the, or the purpose that that group set out to achieve. Without unity, a group can become fragmented, maybe even working against each other, and then they won't be able to achieve that, that goal or that purpose. And if disunity settles into that group, look out, that, that, that group may not, not only not achieve their, their goal or their purpose, but they may split apart. They may actually disintegrate. That's why I believe that disunity is one of the, is one of the worst sins in a church because disunity destroys community in a church. How many people here have ever been a part of a disunified team or group? Yeah, then you know what I'm talking about. And so I think we all can agree that, that unity is something, that, that it is good for a group, that, that, that it's essential for a group, that a group should be striving for. And in particular, the Apostle Paul encourages us to live in unity with each other. In particular, we're told this in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, Paul says this, Therefore I, a prisoner... For serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. You've been called to be and do Jesus in every way, in every day. So represent him well. 
Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in what? United in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And this is what I call unified diversity. That is, we are all unified in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God has given us, each one of us, a gift, a role to play. We want that diversity to be unified. I call it unified diversity. Verse 11, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people, that is all of us here, to do God's God's work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity. Two things. Unity in our faith and the knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then, that is when we are unified, when we are unified in our faith and unified in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and mature in in, in Christ, we will no longer be like immature children. The, The implication here is that we can be adults and be spiritually immature, okay? So, 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 so we'll no longer be that way. We won't, when we're unified in Christ, we won't be tossed and blown away by every wind of new teaching. And there's so much nonsense out there. We'll talk about it in a bit. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Oh, may that be our heart desire. Who is the head of the body, the church, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That is unified diversity and that attracts people. That draws people to God. So unity then is a good thing, right? Well, can unity ever be a bad thing? Unity of purpose in a church. Well, in our story for today, uh, we will see with, res- with, with respect to one group of people, that unity of purpose led to their demise. Why? Well, let's see. So let's pray. God, please prepare us to receive your word this morning. Open our minds and our hearts to your truth, God. As we ask you every week, please pour out your Holy Spirit, because it's your Holy Spirit who helps us Know your truth, understand your truth, be your truth, live your truth. So please, have your way with us this morning. Please, God, make us more like Jesus Christ in every way and every day. In your mighty, life-giving name, we pray and ask, amen. Our story, and for those of you who, who may be newer with us and may not have been here since September, we're in a God's story series. We want to understand God's word. And what we've learned so far is that God is the originator and creator of all that God created us to live in right relationship with God and with each other, and that God gave us a choice, whether we're going to live that way or not, live in a tree of life or live in a tree of knowledge of good and evil. As we saw with the Cain and Abel story, Cain, Adam and Eve first, they broke relationship with God, right? And then Cain did too. And then as Pastor Jenna talked about last week, uh, like the whole world started going off the chain, off the rails, right? Evil all the time. And then God saw one righteous, that is Noah, as Pastor Jenna 
spoke to us last week, God is always looking for that faithful person to be a light, to move us forward, right? That God wants to use. And so there was this flood and then God used Noah to continue God's creation. And now we find ourselves here in chapter 11 of Genesis verse one. And our story begins this way. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks, and which was the technology of the day, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen, that's asphalt, for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Seems like these people have a legitimate reason for settling in the land of Shinar. I mean, they, 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 want, to, they want to make a home for themselves, which, which is a natural desire within us, right? We all want to have a home, right? And if we have a natural desire, then that makes it, makes it good and cool, right? No, we don't have to ask any other questions. If we feel it, we do it, right? That's godly, right? I'm just, I'm checking. Stay with me. Okay. I mean, really, what is wrong with them trying to secure a home? I guess the question becomes is what is their motivation? What is their reason for doing it? The story gives us two principal reasons. The first, the main one, is, is that they wanted to avoid being scattered across the face of the earth. Again, sounds legitimate. Don't they have a better chance of survival if they, if they unite together in one place? The problem with that is it goes against God's instruction to them. And God, two times, has instructed them to go fill, scatter, fill the earth and care for it. Listen to what uh, God says in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Then God blessed them. He's talking to Adam and Eve and said, be fruitful, multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. And that word, as we looked at before, govern means to care for. We are to care for God's creation, care for the earth, steward it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God also gave the same instruction in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, after the flood. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So one of our purposes, God's purposes, is to, to fill the earth, create more beauty with God, and care for all of that beauty, all of God's creation. The author, it seems that the author of this story in Genesis wants his readers, and his readers are the Israelites, and now us, he wants his readers uh, to see that, that these, this people's motivation, their, their, their reason for, for not obeying God's command to go scatter and fill the earth, it, it, it may show their distrust in God's plans, and their belief that God may not have their best interests at heart. Uh -uh. And so their distrust, our author wants to see it, so their distrust leads to their second reason for stopping and building something. They, 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 want, they want to make a name for themselves. They, they want to build a tower up into the heavens. That is, they want to be their own God because they believe that they know what's best for them. And I want to stop right there and I just want to, to make sure that we understand that again, what we see here in this story is another choice of whether we're going to live in the, these people are going to live in the tree of life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, and, I, and as we go through these stories in the Bible, it, it seems like it's the continuous choice. Again, tree of life. Am, am, do, do I, am I going to 
do I believe that God is Lord of my life? And I want to live God, life God's way. And I want to live in God's kingdom. Just simply seeking God first and trusting that God will take care, take care of the rest. Believing that God knows what's best for me. Or am I going to live in a tree of knowledge of good and evil? That is, am I going to be Lord of my life? Because I believe that I want, to just, I want to live my way because I think my way is the best. I want to live in my self-created kingdom. That's what's going on here. And, and even though God gave these people the instruction to go scatter and fill the earth, they choose to live in the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They choose to secure their life right here in this spot so that they can control their environment and protect themselves. So instead of seeking and uniting around a God-given identity and purpose and just resting in God's security, they choose to create their own identity, their own purpose, their own security. They choose to unify around their own creative thinking. And as I I thought about this story and, and, and these people's decision to do that, this week, it caused me to reflect upon my own life, and, and, and that's one of the reasons why we're going through this God's story series. We, we want to understand who this God is, God's character. We also want to understand God's story, and we want to see ourselves in God's story. So these stories are there to, to make us self-reflect and wrestle with where are we in life. And so this week, I had to wrestle with the question whether, whether am, I, am I really seeking and unifying around a God identity, a God purpose, just resting in God's security, or am I trying to create my own identity, my own purpose, and my own security? Now, now, I don't think any of us here are gonna try to build a tower up into the heavens, right? But if we're honest, I wanna ask you, I think many of us are working very hard to build a career that gives us the identity, the purpose, and the financial security that we think will give us the peace and fulfillment that we are craving. Instead of just simply uh, just receiving and embracing our God identity. And what is that? We are a child of God. And because of that, we have access to everything that God our Father has access to. And just then just obeying God's command to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourselves, and then help others do the same. And then as we do that, just constantly seek God first and trust that God will take care of the rest, believing that God knows what's best for me. Now, one simple way to check ourselves on this, to see if we have moved from living from the tree of life into the tree of knowledge of good and evil, is to think about how we identify ourselves to other people. So when someone asks you, who are you? How do you respond? Because how you respond will tell a lot about how how you find, how you see your identity. So if you say, in response to that question, hey, I'm Jimmy Smith. I'm the owner of X business. Hey, I'm Jimmy Smith. I'm a, I'm a plumber. Hey, I'm Jimmy Smith. I'm an electrician. Hey, I'm Jimmy Smith. I'm a lawyer. I'm a, a waitress. I'm, I'm a mom. I'm a, I'm a hairstylist. If, if that is our response, that response may reveal that we find our identity, or we are focused on a self-created identity and purpose. I have to confess that when I was a church attendee, when people would ask me, 
hey, who are you? I would say, I'm Dave Anderson. I'm a lawyer at K&L Gates. Yeah. One of the most prestigious firms in the world. Because that's where I found my identity and my purpose. And then when I moved into the consulting world, people would ask, hey, who are you? Hey, I'm Dave Anderson. I'm a consultant and I'm a, and I'm a lawyer at Risk International. At the time, the second biggest risk management consulting firm in the world. Yeah. I'm bad to the bone, right? <laughs> I know we laugh, but I'm sad that that's the way I used to live life. And then God changed me. And I became a pastor. And so I had my first pastor gig. And people would ask, hey, who are you? And I'd say, I'm Dave Anderson. I'm a lawyer and a pastor. <laughs> Seriously, that's how I did. Why? Because I didn't think that pastor thing was really going to give me the cred that I still desired. Because there's so many pastors out there that are clueless, at least seem to be especially when I was a lay person. They seemed to be out of touch with the world. They didn't really care. They, they never read the news. They, they weren't in it. They were just in, in this book, The Word. That's not a bad thing, though, right? <laughs> but they just seem unrelatable. You know what I mean? And so I still had this warped view. And I was still relying on my own created identity, right? And then over time, I changed. And people would ask, hey, who are you? And I'd say, hey, I'm Dave Anderson. I'm a pastor and a lawyer. So I still wanted that cred, right? Just being real and honest. And then over time, now I, I, I embrace this way when people ask, hey, who are you? And I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That God is using as a pastor in just a tiny little bit as a lawyer. And that dictates how I live in every situation. And that dictates how I treat everyone that God puts in my sphere of influence. Are you guys with me this morning? So I really want you to sit and wrestle with that question this week. Because I think if you're honest with that question, it may tell you where you are finding your identity and purpose. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, you need to allow that spirit to work on you a little bit. Are you following me? Then I also thought about this story in the people's decision from a community of faith perspective. And I wondered if a church could be unified around something that appears to be spiritual and good, but actually works against God's purposes in some way. And as I pondered that thought, two scenarios came to my mind. There could be more, but these two came to my mind. I guess a church could become so unified around being a seeker-friendly church that, that, that they actually they lose a part of their important identity that is to be a place where God's word is spoken, taught, and lived. God's truth, right? And becoming so unified around being a seeker-friendly church, so unified around attracting people to church to build up their church, that seeker-friendly church could end up compromising the truth of God's word by trying to create an environment that doesn't offend anybody or doesn't make anyone feel uncomfortable, which then would cause those people 
not to be deeply rooted in God's word and God's truth. So if a church would take that path, just I'm all all in all this seeker-friendly stuff, just go down that path, then their people may be what we say, biblically illiterate. And hear me on this, unable to work through and speak on the issues of the day, these cultural issues of the day in a biblically sound manner. And, and, and what happens in that kind of just focused in on seeker friendly, seeker friendly, seeker friendly, what can happen in that kind of church then is, 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 is that the people there, they simply respond to these cultural issues of the day. I mean, that's, let's get them out there. Homosexuality, right? Transgender issues, living together, abortion, social justice, all these things. Throw them all out there. They end up responding in the way that they've been taught by that seeker friendly church. That is by glossing over and or avoiding altogether God's truth. And by living like God's love trumps God's truth. As they say to their son or their daughter or their friend or their coworker, don't worry. As long as you're in a committed, loving relationship, your relationship's okay. Don't worry. God's gonna love you anyway. So just be who you feel like being. Just do what you what comes natural. Because this God's love is so great. In the end, it trumps everything else. Have you ever been a part of a church like that? Because what happens is, is that person just walks the spiritual death path with their son, with their daughter, or their friend, or their coworker. Because they don't want to make that person feel uncomfortable or offend them in any way with God's truth. Have you ever been a part of a church like that? My daughter was in town this last week and she's a college student in Southern California. And, and we were talking about this. So I wanted her perspective. And she's like, oh dad, she goes, I've been to a number of churches there. And there's so many that are soft on truth. They just want to make you feel loved and comfortable. They don't want to offend you in any way. They don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. But I found one church after a year or so that speaks God's truth. And I need God's truth. And I want God's truth, she says, because there's, there's so much stuff. I, you, what is what? I don't, I don't even know what's true anymore. People are hungry for this. God's word, God's truth, Jesus Christ. Are you guys with me this morning? Amen. So as long as I'm your pastor here, we will never be a mamby, pamby, cotton, candy, all sugar, no substance, community of faith. Nope. Uh-uh. Hear me. We will speak and live God's truth because God's truth sets us free from the lies of the evil one. 
I'm a man. And that's a good thing. I don't care how many times you may tell me, hey, you can be a woman, you're a woman. I'm a man. That's the way God created me to be. The shirt is pink. It's not blue. I don't care how many times you tell me it's blue, it's pink. God's truth gives us life as revealed in God's word and in the person of Jesus Christ. Are you following me this morning? Oh man, we will be a church of God's truth because God's truth sets us free and we will always speak God's truth in love. So if someone comes in and they're wrestling with something, I'm like, oh, no, hey, tell me, talk to me here. How you feeling? Let's, let's, let's talk through this. And then we can share about who this God is, this God that created him. Are, are you guys truth in love? Because God's truth is God's love. God's love is God's truth. Are you guys with me? The second scenario I thought about, here about churches in this story, is, is that a church could become so unified around isolating itself from the world. Because it's afraid, it has some fear that the world may contaminate it. And, and if a church does that, if they just pull back, just isolate around, then they will fail to live out God's command to go into the world, to be salt and light, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Are you with me? That's the struggle point of the Pharisees in the New Testament, right? They're holy people. I mean, they're striving to be holy people, but they forgot that they were to be a separate, they were to be set apart to God. And when you're set apart to God, then, then God can use you as salt and light in the world, right? Don't just, and Pharisees were like, hey, now you gotta clean yourself up before we talk to you because you may contaminate us. That's not, that's not what God's calling us to be, okay? You guys with me here? I don't wanna be that kind of church either. So how does God respond when we try to create our own unity, our own purpose, or our own security? Well, let's see how God responds to the people in this story, continuing in, in Genesis chapter five, verse five. And this, and this statement is full of irony. Listen, remember they, what they were building a tower into the heavens, Right? says this, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. Although they think their tower is a wonderful achievement, reaching up at the heavens, God actually had to descend to even see it. Point being, no matter how hard we may try to make a name for ourselves to be our own God, it's never gonna happen. We're never gonna be like God, Okay. And so instead of blessing uh, what they had done, this is what we're told in verse six. The Lord said, look, they are one people. That is, they're united in, in purpose and they, have, they all have one language. And this is the only beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Ooh, shows us, it's, it's really a statement of the power of unity. Verse seven, come let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. Babel stands as the great monument of the negative human desire to build our own kingdom apart from God and God will have none of it. God's not gonna, God just doesn't, doesn't go for that nonsense. But God's judgment 
though creating some difficulties, has a fundamentally gracious purpose. The garbling of language or the confusing of language and then scattering them there really prevents any other kind of project that's going to put God's creation in jeopardy. And God's judgment gives these people an opportunity to fulfill their God-given purpose, to scatter, to fill the earth and care for it. Be a steward of it to create more beauty. Are you guys with me here? So what does this story teach us? It teaches us a number of things. And we've been talking about it, but I want to focus in on two more right here. This, this story shows us that God is active in the world. God is active in your life. God just didn't create you and say, whoop, see you at the end. No, God is with you. And it also teaches us that God's actions here, although they may be painful at, at, at times, they are designed to help us make course correction when we get off, off the path so that we can come back and, and be who God has created us to be, fulfill our purpose here on earth. Are you following me? So I want to ask you this question. I want you to wrestle with this question today in this week. In this week, What kind of towers have you been building in your life that God may be trying to move you away from? Or maybe even, even, even tearing down in your life during this COVID season. I really want you to sit on that one. Where are you finding your identity and purpose? God may be trying to move you away from any self-created one, all right? And then, and then the other thing is, is that this story is a cautionary story that forces us as a community of faith to wrestle with what are we doing and why are we doing it? Because we don't want to be a community of faith that is unified around a wrong purpose with a wrong motive, right? Because that always leads to bad things. Here at Church on the Hill, and we are constantly inviting you to start following Jesus and become more like Jesus. And, 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 and our discipleship-making vision is all about that. We, we want you to come to know this God, find freedom in this God, discover your God purpose and play your role in God's story of bringing more and more people into this wonderful love relationship with God. It's what we're all about. We want you to experience these God movements. As a pastoral team, though, we are constantly asking the question, do we have any blind spots here? Have we missed something that's causing us not to really be who God has called us to be? And as we wrestled with that, that question and, and think about where we're going this next year, we thought, whoa, holy smokes, maybe we're not as biblically literate as we think we may be. Maybe we really don't know God's truth like we think we may know it. And maybe that's the reason why we're struggling with responding to these cultural issues of the day in a biblically sound manner because we really don't understand God's word and God's truth. And so we said, okay, well, let's, let's just journey together. Let's just discover together. Let's go on this God's story together and we'll start in Genesis and really understand who this God is, how God set things up how we are to live and, and see ourselves in this story and invite God to continuously change us and make us more like him. 
And so that's the journey we're on because we believe that when we are a people of God's word, of God's truth, as as set forth here in scripture and in the flesh in Jesus Christ, then we are able, that God is able to use us to give hope to this world. So many of whom are on the spiritual death path. So when we become a people of God's truth, of God's word, the Apostle Paul tells us what happens when that happens. Again, let me read to you in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Then, then we, when we're a people of God's word, God's truth, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. And there's a lot of interesting stuff out there, right? I mean, you got people actually looking at the word, ah, no, that doesn't, nah. It doesn't really mean what it says in respect to same-sex relationships. It doesn't really mean that. It doesn't. I know it says that, but it doesn't really mean that. Right? And they can come up with, but you, I, why would you have this desire if, if, it wasn't, if it wasn't okay to act on it, right? And we can, we can hear all these things. And it says, we will, we will, when, when, we're, when we're in God's truth, we know God's truth, we won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies, so clever they sound like truth. You saw what the serpent did to Eve in the garden? Clever. Half truths. Instead, we're told, when we're people of the word. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ. Who is the head of the body of the church. Oh, to be like and do like Jesus Christ in every way and every day. Oh, may that be our unifying heart desire. May that be our unifying heart cry. And then may we allow God to use us to change the world. What say you, people of Church in the Hill? Will you be a people of God's truth? The only way you can is if you get into it. So I invite you to make the reading of God's word a part of your daily way and then see what happens. Are you with me? Will you pray with me this morning? Oh God. May we be unified only in you, in your ways, in your love, in your word, in your truth. Oh God, please purge us from any selfish thinking. God, please protect us from any lies that the evil one may be throwing our way. Purify us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with you, God. Have your way in us and then use us to change your world in your mighty powerful, life-giving name we pray and ask.